0: Buckle your seatbelt and get ready for the podcast that will take you on a special journey designed to elevate and empower your cross cultural appreciation for communities around the world. Hello, I'm Carol Copeland Thomas. I'm your host of Conversations with Carol, the weekly show that connects culture with collaboration and community. Welcome aboard. Today's special guest will share how the University of Michigan is archiving its African-American student body from the years 1853 to 1970. I'll tell you why this topic is so important to me. Let's jump right in and meet Dr. Richard Smith. Well, this is, I'm really excited about this interview. Uh, we're with Conversations with Carol. I'm Carol Copeland Thomas, and I am delighted to bring to my audience a great man. He has been great in terms of medicine, but not forgetting the community. You know, part of my title deals with community and the importance of community. So I would like to invite uh, everyone to say hello, and we want to say thank you so much to Dr. Richard Smith, and I'm going to take personal privilege and call you Rick from this point on. Rick, thanks so much for being a guest on my program.
1: Uh, No, thank you. It's my honor to to share the information with you.
0: Great. Let's take it way back from where you're from and how you got involved in medicine. And then obviously we'll build it up talking about this wonderful African-American student project with the University of Michigan. Rick, where are you from? How did everything come together in terms of medicine?
1: I'm from the great city of Detroit. And uh, born and raised there. And and in fact, my grandfather's grandfather was born in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to have an old friend in a Karen Karen bachelor farmer who did all this family research. And I says, well, I I don't have much research because I've been born right here. (laughs) And but uh, I know a lot about the Detroit and also an an interest in history, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, helps. all, helps us put a lot of different things together. As a physician, you always take the patient's history, but sometimes you have to go into the family history to find out what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. And as you begin to explore things, it's amazing what you come up with. Mm-hmm. So I'm here, and uh, you know, from there, I learned. Uh, uh, you know, I, I learned my. Uh, my <laughs> my math through the rhythms of Motown, and I've learned my biochemistry to the beat of the victors at the University of Michigan. And also, <laughs> I learned how to do surgery at Howard University back mm-hmm. there through the rhythms of Donnie Hathaway. <laughs> that's, that's me.
0: Wow. So, from uh, now we always say from Detroit, what high school did you go to? That's always the leading question when you're
1: from the Detroit area. Well, I went to the best high school in Detroit, obviously. And that was called Mumford High School. In the first <laughs> of Detroit. Mumford. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we were the best high school. Yeah, we did the, the you see, during
0: our era, everybody, we had yeah. rivals. So we had Mumford High School, we had Central High School, we had Northeastern, and you had the best high school, Cass Tech. That's where I went which, to
1: school. <laughs> which, which, which we had more National Mayor Scholars in Cass Tech, and we also <laughs> won the City Champs in basketball through that so That's all I have to say about it. You know, some people rest on Laurel, some people create history. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh too funny too very funny so from Mumford high school to the University of Michigan tell me about that that transition and was medicine on that road path for you that path when you graduated from Mumford high school
1: well well again i I started in Michigan I was 16 years old so it was a little different I didn't know what I was going to do and um, uh and I got together with I pledged a fraternity there and uh which was a great thing to do because within that, my dean of pledges, he told everybody the first day that hey, you're not at Michigan to pledge, you're at here to get a degree. Mm-hmm. Now I want to see who's interested in medicine. And they put you with the people who were going to medical school and some who are in medical school. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in law, he put you with folks there. And in uh, the law school, And engineering, which is a big engineering program, they would put the fellows there as well. And it was all about study and preparation and surviving the University of Michigan. Not all that craziness you hear about or see about now. Uh, it, it, it was that sort of thing. He would go on to be uh, one of the most well known dentists in the state, of, in the country, really. Also, the mayor of Saginaw, Larry Crawford. Mm-hmm. That's and he would go on and do wonderful things throughout the country mm-hmm. in terms of uh, helping uh, people uh, get dental care, but also in business. Mm-hmm. And But that's the kind of individuals you'll have. In my cohort of people, there were more than a, a dozen people who went into medicine at that time. And that's how you survived in Michigan.
0: So when you were there and your mentor, did he plant the seed about medicine or was it already germinating when you were in high school?
1: Well, again, at that point, everything was germinating. You're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Those are things which were driven into you from Mm -hmm. your family, from your church, from your community, that you went to school to do something and to be something to help people. Mm -hmm. And so the best place to go at that time was indeed Michigan, because they turned out more physicians than any place else in in, in the country, aside from Howard Meharic. And um, that's how you went after that. And then you got to a group of people who were committed to success. And we're not talking about people who are who are like 30, 40, 50 years old. We're talking about fellow students and who came together and guaranteed and supported each other to uh, attain that goal. Hmm.
0: That's so I, I know that's how I got through undergraduate and certainly graduate school. And it's uh, refreshing mm-hmm. to hear you talk about, hear this classmate, peer, colleague, collective that we help each other to succeed. That's the way it should mm-hmm. be. That's yes. the
1: way it's supposed to. be. Right. And these are students who pre- who just performed at the highest level and they continue to do so and mm-hmm. grow off of each other. And, and with, with nothing to say, you know, we didn't have Facebook to say, look at me, how great I am. They just knew that they had a responsibility to be great and to do great things.
0: Excellent. And so, from University of Michigan, uh, where did you go from there? Tell us about your medical oh, training.
1: I, I went to Howard University, uh, a campus down there. I, I had wonderful professors. When I walked in there, you just knew that this was a place, and they guaranteed your success. You know, if they didn't if you didn't come out of there, there there was one less doctor on there. They were committed to your success. And again, they had very high standards. You had to pass boards, You had to do well in school in order to get to the next level. And we had great professors like LaSalle Lafall, like Dr. John Clark. Our, our, our dean of the medical school actually was a, a, re, a retired general in the U.S. Army and, and a Ph.D. And, and pathologist. I mean, these are the people who drove you. And it was a fascinating experience to operate in the same operating rooms that Dr. Charles Drew operated in, to mm-hmm. work in the same chemistry lab that... Uh, uh, Dr. Percy Julian discovered his 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 great steroid use. Those are some of the things that you, the intangible things that you can talk about about your experience at Howard. Mm-hmm.
0: That's incredible. That is really incredible. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just sort of speed things along. You now have been, become a uh, uh, an amazing physician, uh, obstetrician and gynecologist, I believe, um, awards, achievements, and also, I believe, the first African-American president of the Michigan Medical Society. Tell us about that.
1: It's the Michigan State Medical Society. It's one of the oldest ones in the country. And uh, uh, there, there are two great medical societies, the American Medical Society and the National Medical Association, which was created by African-Americans who at one point in history were, were barred from belonging to the AMA, particularly in the Southern southern states mm-hmm. and uh, on that. Um, and, and, and Michigan is uh, very proactive, but it still took a long time before they can have a president in this 144 year history. I was the first one wow. um, mm. on that. And I salute
0: you on that because my very dear friend, Dr. Alice Coombs, was in many ways your counterpart. She was the first African American president, I believe she was the first for the New England Medical Society around the same time that you were president in Michigan.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I always look at this, People always say we're first of that, first of that, but uh, being first is is is, a, is an important point, but. What happens to the next 10? Are you encouraging other people to follow in your path? Are you helping other people? You direct them to that. And I, and I think that's one of the successes that I have is to invite other African-Americans to participate in the majority organization uh, to make a difference. Mm-hmm.
0: And you've done that uh, in a stellar way, very uh, amazingly fantastic way. So where were you and when did this incredible website take place?
1: Oh, this 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 is fantastic! People's at the University of Michigan Bentley Library. It all began. Uh, Michigan was celebrating its bicentennial, which was would have been in 2017. So, in the year before that, they were organizing, getting stories to tell the stories of that happened during the 200-year history, and they started out with this um, this timeline of the 200 years, and they have the, who was the first woman, who was the first agent, who was the black person who was there, who were the the, the, the people who, who won awards, who were the, the physics people, people with the internet, the astronauts, they did all that stuff. I said, man, this is some fantastic investors going on. I kept looking, I'm going over every decade, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I finally found some black folks, mm. and this it was good. I was happy to see that, and, but the thing that disillusioned me, or, or I question, is that uh, when you looked at it, they saw the stories of four a- African-American scholar athletes. And I'm saying in 200 years, the only thing you can talk about are our athletes. You know, we were much more than that. Um, and, uh, and so I raised the question of that. And there were people who had the similar idea, you know, everybody has a story. I got that from Karen. Everybody's got a story. <laughs> and that, uh, Karen and So, so, I mean, you, um, um, yeah, and so so I tried. I reached out to the head of the the committee, the bicentennial committee, the head of the chairman of the history department, and um, the author that, of some of the articles.
0: 2014, 2015. What time period was that, uh, Rick? This
1: is in twenty sixteen.
0: Twenty sixteen. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And just raised the question: Hey, can we tell some other stories? And we have incredible alumni through there. You know, we, we Alexa Kennedy, uh, who was the first African American uh, pediatric neurosurgeon, uh, who who was there. We had. People like uh, Manny Rivers, who was honored by the National Institute of Health because his early directed care to treat um, pneumonia and in intensive care of medicine. We have people we have a, a fellow who graduated in 1911 who did a structural design for how to build bridges and suspension bridges came out of Cornelius Henderson, a graduate of the engineering school. And there's a bridge that goes from Detroit to Canada called the Ambassador Bridge, which he actually did a structural design for. Amazing. Wow. But from the Canadian side, because the United States companies wouldn't hire them. But that's another story that we can wow. get into. One of the many stories that's covered in the survey.
0: Mm-hmm. So from this uh, 200 year anniversary of University of Michigan, 200 years, mm-hmm. um, 2016, you asked the question beyond the athletes. And we give all uh, respect to, and celebration to uh, black athletes in particular. But you said, aren't there more scholars and uh, individuals in the, the African diaspora who have crossed the paths of the University of Michigan. So where did it go from there?
1: Well, then the you have people on the, at the Bentley Library like Brian Williams, an incredible person who actually provided the insight and the energy and the force behind creating this. And it was said by the director because he said, yes, that's true. We all talk about the first, but nobody talks about the 101st. And the 101st uh, student at the University of Michigan graduated in 1903, I believe, 1902. He was a lawyer. He was a lawyer who not only did that, but he brought other students into the medical, into the law profession as well. He would start several chapters of the NAACP. He was a civil rights attorney. He created all sorts of things force of people of the state of Michigan and nationally. His uh, his two, three generations behind him have become Michigan lawyers as well. And he did all these remarkable things on one leg because his leg was injured in a farm accident or trade accident. He was a youth. Uh, This is Oscar Baker that I'm talking about, an incredible man. He highlighted the the progress of African-Americans in the 1915 um, essay that he put out, uh, which was sponsored by the the governor of the state of Michigan. He was on that level. Hmm. That's the 100th thing graduate of the University of Michigan.
0: My goodness. And so now the project has grown to the point where I believe there's some 6,000 students, graduates who are featured, African-Americans who are featured in this incredible database that goes from 1853 to the year 1970. Uh, what was it like working, advising Brian and the others on this project as they built out this incredible database,
1: Rick? Well, Brian it has all the information. The Michigan in the archives of every institution just archives. Someone has to take the time and energy and the instinct to go through all these. These are just enrollment cards, address cards. And, and he, he did this with his team he put together. And, and there was a great deal of enthusiasm and goodwill when they were doing it. And uh, we started out. Slow. Uh, we identified, uh, since 1853, uh, 3,280 students who had attended the University of Michigan. That's over 3,000 individual stories that can be told. Yes. And, and you began a process of, of telling the story and putting it together. So we unfolded the first part. We began to get, rec- we get letters and information like they did from all across the country, from California, from D.C., from Austin. And information people had in shoeboxes and said, I'd like to share this about my grandfather, my great grandfather, who was a student at the University of Michigan. And you open this up and you welcome people and their stories, the books that these folks have written, the bios, the other sort of research things that things have done, which is somewhere, but nobody put it all together. And now it's in a database and, uh, and it continues to grow. And we welcome that.
0: It's incredible. And and obviously, I have personal pride in this project. After my brother, Attorney Wilson Copeland, who is your very dear friend, Rick, uh, called me. He sent me an email. I thought something was wrong in the family. And uh, I got back to him and I said, is everything all right? He said, it's fine, but you have to go to this website. And then gave me the story, the conversation that the two of you had. Then you asked what my mother's name was and put her name in In the database, and there she was as a student from 1937 to 1941, Gwendolyn Juanita Charleston. She had transferred from Fisk University. Um, she had a really good time at Fisk. She she was a preacher's kid. I think she probably had a little bit too much fun. And so as her parents, my grandparents surprised her uh, and drove down to see her. They realized, mm, we need to move her to another school. And that's why she went to the University of Michigan, where she received her undergraduate and graduate degree. And everything is there on the database about my mother. And then, wait, there's more and my brother didn't even realize this, that my grandfather also took graduate classes at the University of Michigan while he was the pastor of Bethel AME Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So he had graduated from Wilberforce uh, University and then took these graduate courses at the U of M and his record is also there. I I just was in tears and just was so proud of my parents, my grandparents, uh, both of my parents are college graduates. My father was a Tuskegee Airman and uh, graduated from Virginia State College for Negroes, that was the name of it, back during that time period. It's now known as Virginia Virginia State University. So my brother and I, Wilson and I, we're both very, very proud. We are so excited about what you have done in terms of opening up the past for so many people, and certainly you've done uh, an incredible lift for my family as well. Where do you think this project is going to expand? Again, I'm just now finding out about this, and this is some six years later, I bet there are hosts of people who have some connection to U of M or would like to know about Black people who actually were taking classes, graduating from that great institution.
1: Rick? Well, the one thing I say about this, it took years to build all the information up and work it out, but it wasn't introduced until March of this year. In March of this year is when we first talked about those first 3,000 students. And as, as you gain momentum, they were able to extend that from 1950 to 1956 to, and now to 1970. Okay. Hopefully, we can build some more information about this in order to encourage other students as they, they matriculate through school that this can be done. You know, the students who face there here they, they, they achieved at the highest level, I said, and they were talented. They worked hard. Mm-hmm. They worked at each other. And they didn't ask for any handouts. They just knew this is what had to be done. They existed in a period of time where at Michigan, they they, they lived in the segregated part of Ann Arbor, a right. series of streets down by the railroad tracks in, in the river and, and frame houses who rented out to African-American students. Mm-hmm. But they created a community there where everybody thrived within that environment. Mm-hmm. You, it, well, a good example of that, there was an article published in 1911 that talked about Michigan was third in the country for the number of African-American students enrolled. That was behind Kansas. And Overland, and there was the a <laughs> University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. That number was 39. Ooh. Wow. That's it. We were at a pitiful time in this country where the country was a, a great deal of illiteracy. We're just talking about a few decades after the Civil War, where you had 4 million people who were kept by law illiterate. So as W.B. Du Bois pointed out, the first goal was to create teachers to educate an educated class. Uh-huh. Then after that, you needed to have leaders in politics, and medicine, and law, in order to take us to the next level. Right. He was a graduate of Fisk. He was mm-hmm. a graduate of Fisk there. Right. And while mm-hmm. we're talking about this, there was also a graduate of Fisk by the name of Richard Hill. Mm-hmm. Richard Hill uh, came to the University of Michigan to go to law school and he did graduate from law school in um, in, in uh, nineteen eleven as well. He was He was in part of the Alpha group. The Alphas chapter at Michigan was mm-hmm. one of the oldest created in nineteen oh nine.
0: That's your fraternity
1: obviously. But, that, that is that is my fraternity, yes. That's right.
0: And, and my group
1: too. He, is all, he was also an alpha. <laughs> well, all the fraternities played an important role in the development. there. Mm-hmm. But the alphas, particularly at Michigan, are, are quite unique because, again, we're talking about 1909 before the other fraternities were even established. Mm-hmm. This is what happened here. But I want to get back to Richard Hill because he came out of Fisk and they came to University of Michigan. His father was one of the originators. It was called the Niagara Movement. Oh, yes. He was close ties with... Um, with um, W.E.B. The, the boys and and the boys and Richard would communicate with that. Uh. Uh, the boys would go on and graduate from the law school at University of Michigan, high scholar with there with awards the that he took place there. Hmm. And he set up practice. He spoke five languages. And he helped to create the Chicago NAACP chapter the Crisis Magazine, which would mm-hmm. later become published. And he would go on to represent, establish an African-American bank and insurance company <clears throat> and all these things because of an education he received at the University of at Michigan. Michigan.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The stories just continue. We could go on and on, and I know I'm going to have to have you back on this podcast uh, because we have so many stories. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my brother introduced me to you. My brother's a Kappa. My father was a Kappa, so I have to say that. Uh, My mother was a Delta. I'm a Delta. And again, I'm so proud because I saw Delta Sigma Theta on her record that that you obviously have been very instrumental in creating. And not just Deltas and, and Alpha and Kappas. We've got AKAs. We have Zeta. We have to talk about the Divine Nine, because all of them were um, innovative and uh, incubated at these various universities around the country, including the University of Michigan. So we owe them homage. I, I think the biggest thing, Rick, and we talked about this earlier, is that this is so important because for so many people who don't know a lot about history, or they watch just movies, or they watch current movies, and they don't really understand the, the depth, the historical depth of the Black community. When you look at now some 6,000 people who have passed through the University of Michigan between 1853 and 1970, you're looking at intellect, scholars, people who were dreamers, innovators, people who started large organizations or uh, divisions of that organization, all of that making up the black community. So the black community is multifaceted. It is multi-generational, obviously, but multifaceted because one size never has fit all. You have those who have come from very humble surroundings and and backgrounds. You have those who have been privileged, but you have a, a race of people who have contributed greatly to our our country. I always say that Black history is um, American history, and so what you've done in just planting the seeds, being a University of Michigan graduate, but also shepherding this program along, really demonstrates the multifaceted richness of the Black community and what we have meant for generations uh, beyond, generations before us, and what we will mean for generations to come. In closing, Rich, what should we, I should say, Dr. Richard Smith, your, your complete title, how can you motivate young people who are starting college right now. We know we've just started back to school. We have young people who have started kindergarten straight through to tech school, straight through to uh, classes, and they're freshmen at the University of Michigan. What advice, what words of wisdom can you share with them?
1: I simply would say that, and take the the, the example of uh, uh, Dr. Simeon Carson. Dr. Carson's family was born in slavery. And they came out of North Carolina as soon as they can. They came up to, to Ann Arbor. His father was a simple gardener, which helped plant the gardens, the beautiful gardens at the University of Michigan. He was such, his son, Simeon, was such a brilliant student that the people in the folks in Ann Arbor sent him to medical school. He graduated with the University of Michigan Medical School, the top one in the country at that time with honors at the age of 21. He would go on to be the vice chairman of surgery at Howard University Freedman's Hospital and train a generation of more surgeons. Before these men, there were none there. And and one thing at Howard University, it was founded by a graduate of the University of Michigan, Mm. the medical school. The medical school was. And he helped do that. And and, uh, so that's what education does. Education. And you're talking about obstacles. These folks had real obstacles. You had an illiterate population. You had Percy versus Ferguson. You had segregation through there, and few places to go. And yet, they succeeded against all incredible odds to do what they do, and paved the way for so many more students to come. Mm-hmm. So, if they can do it under those circumstances, you can certainly do it. But you got got to be committed, understanding that a commitment to education, a commitment to community, a commitment to excellence, and you will do well. There's a famous quote by. Dr. Charles Drew, that says excellence performance will exceed all sorts of artificial barriers created by men. And with that driven into you, there's that sense of purpose that you can succeed and get with people who are also want to be, be successful and you will also obtain those goals. The best wishes of all and go blue.
0: Dr. Richard Smith, boy, you talk about a a fireball, a fire brand of excellence and motivation and encouragement. Uh, We salute you. We say thank you so much for being my guest on Conversations with Carol. We're going to have you back. We are going to put all the information about this incredible Bentley Historical Library of the University of Michigan African-American Student Project. The links will be in the show notes. You'll be able to to peruse, find out who these individuals are, see my mother and my grandfather, and learn more about incredible Black people throughout the years and the deca- decades who have made a difference for so many. Dr. Smith, thank you so so much.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me on.
0: All right, take care okay. now. <laughs> okay. All right, take Bye-bye. care.
1: Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Conversations with Carol spread the word and tell friends and colleagues that this podcast is tailor-made for them. Make sure you subscribe and we welcome your comments and reviews on your favorite podcast platform. Visit us at carolcopelandthomas.com and listen to all of the episodes and learn about my speaking services there. Thanks again and we'll see you back next week for an exciting new show. See you soon.